What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. And it's time to jump back in the DeLorean, fly back to 1955, and catch up with myself and Dave as we carry on our Back to the Future retrospective. In the last episode, just in case you missed it, we covered off the first film, the 1985 Back to the Future. In this this part, we're going to jump forward a little bit. We're going to jump to 1989, and we're going to be kicking off with Back to the Future Part 2 and going straight, almost like they did, to Back to the Future Part 3. So, jump on board, and let's go back in time. So they, they ended up getting into a bit of trouble, really. They didn't, or not trouble, but with the casting. So mm. Marty's girlfriend, uh, they ended up creating a rod for their own back at the end there. Well, this was it. So they, they, yeah, they'd obviously uh, hired uh, Claudia Wells to play Jennifer in the first film. And she's very attractive and she's very good and that sort of thing. But they seemed to think, oh, she was going to play a bigger part in the second film. And I'm not sure why, but they yeah they they go off and they recast and they bring they bring in Elizabeth Shue, um, and so for the start of the second film they have to reshoot the end of the first film, yeah. Um, but it's pretty well done. I mean, there's things on YouTube where you can see them next to each other, um, for comparison, um, and uh, uh, they're pretty close. They've done a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't even have to acknowledge it, really. She just turns up and, you know, the hair's the same, the clothes are the same and everything. And, and it's only, you know, I guess this was still, you know, this was kind of your peak home video time, wasn't it? But there was no mm-hmm. internet or anything, you know, so unless you, you had uh, the video and watched it to death, you know, on, only if you weren't being that eagle-eyed, you wouldn't even notice, would you? Well, I didn't notice till I bought the uh, the when it was on the Blu-ray, not the Blu-ray. When I bought the DVD package, if you you know, quite a mm-hmm. while ago. But for years, I'd never noticed. And then it wasn't until sort of like you go, oh yeah, it's two different women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How bizarre! And I think especially because you know Elizabeth Shue hadn't been in that much at this point, but obviously she went on to become you know quite a bit bigger. Mm. Um, and more recognisable, I think, you know, and, and so probably that um, that helps her to be more instantly recognisable as someone different. Yes. But what, yeah, what was her name, Claudia, Claudia Wells? Claudia Wells yeah. was, was, was Jennifer in the so, first film, yeah. So I can't remember which year it was. It must, I guess it must have been 2015. So was, I, I went down to a London Film and Comic Con. Mm. And, you know, it was just one of those, I rarely, I'm not one of these people who looks and say, oh, this creator's there. I might take a cursory glance, but I'm not going to go and sing, single people out or anything. I just like, or, or I haven't, well, certainly haven't this year, but, you know, I haven't <laughs> been to many Comic Cons of late. Um, but I just like 
to go and just, you know, whoever's there, I'll, I'll make up my mind who I want to see at the time. It only happened to be the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future. <laughs> so mm. they had a load of the cast there. Michael J. Fox was there. Christopher Lloyd wasn't there. Um, but Claudia Wells was uh, was there. And I got the distinct feeling there was something romantic that had happened between her and Marty in the past. Uh, Marty, Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. Yeah, she was kind of, just the way she was being at the time, you know, and so I I have no idea, that's pure speculation, just from going off, you know, like a a Q&A session with the, with the cast um uh thomas f wilson he he wasn't there as well unfortunately but um but a load of a load of them were and and you know we got um the guy who did you know the earth angel earth angel he was there and we had a bit of a rendition of that a bit of a sing-along so yeah it was good stuff but yeah so that that's there was definitely something with them them too Mm. yeah no i mean let's say it doesn't you don't notice it in in the uh you know, in the film, and Elizabeth Shoe's perfectly fine, and more importantly, like she's she's not in it a great deal. Yeah. So <laughs> it doesn't make it doesn't really make much bloody difference. Well, um, that, that's where they kind of screwed up, really, isn't it? Because if they hadn't shot that scene, she wouldn't have gone to the future. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because they they always they have to address it in the first five minutes of, of part two, don't they? So yeah. they actually do. They sort of like <clears throat> Marty sort of as they go into the future, they travel through time. And he has to say, "Oh yeah, this is a time machine," and um, and then even Marty says, "Like, why did you bring her?" <laughs> and it's like, "Well, she's already seen it." And it's like, "Yeah, but he, he, even as a kid, I was thinking, but all she's seen is a crazy DeLorean. Like, she could have just, you could have just said, i 'I've got to go for a drive.' <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, they clearly oh, made a bit of a rod for their own back. I, I mean, obviously, I love this second one, mm. but you don't." In order to influence the future, you don't actually have to go to the future. <laughs> so you could yeah. either you could maybe write them a letter that they could open. <laughs> We've seen that before in this. Yeah. Um, or, or you could just give them a bit of advice. You know, when it gets to yeah. this point, uh, don't do it. Or you know, tomorrow you're going to want to race. Uh, don't race. <laughs> well, this is the thing, actually. This is the really good point. Like, I I came to the conclusion having watched this that Doc Brown initially is a bit of a selfish dick. Because all he wants to do is sort of to his own sort of self gain and all this other stuff. Like, he doesn't want to become rich and all this other stuff. And he's constantly sort of saying to Marty, like, you can't benefit your own future. But having gone to the future, like, he clearly knows that Marty has a traffic accident at some point in the very near future yep. in 85 that wrecks his hand and all this other stuff. But has no intention of doing anything about it. Yet he's willing to travel to the future to save Marty's kids. You're like, isn't Marty supposed to be one of your best friends? You're willing to change the future future, but not your best friend's future. Like, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit weird. He gets um, even worse in the third one because he's talking about, you know, he doesn't want to interrupt, you know, he can't mess with the space-time continuum. Uh, but Clara bats her eyelids at him and he thinks he can get his end away. And he's like, right, well, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to yeah. stick around well, a bit. Even even Marty calls him out in it in the third one because he keeps saying that, and Marty's like, "But what about the future?" And he's like, "Yeah, no, no, you're right, you're right. Yeah, no, I'm fine. I'll have a cold shower and I'll be fine. Don't worry." <laughs> um, yeah, but like I say they go to the future, and it's, it's it. we are now recording this obviously in 2020. Um, 
uh, and they go to 2015. It's a very different 2015. Now, the thing is, this film came out in 1989, and 1989 was sort of like my birth into cinema, like real birth. And so that's the, I remember going to the cinema more times ever before, ever before in 89. There were so many films. Um, and this is one of the ones I saw at the cinema. I saw this on the big screen. And I remember seeing 2015 then as a kid and going like, wow. And then you sort of think, it's what? It's only sort of twenty six sort of years. Well, at that point, it's been thirty. It's maybe thirty years from eighty five, but like by that point, it'd be like twenty five, twenty six years in the future. And I'm like, you look back and go, you're not going to have flying cars in twenty six years. <laughs> but don't but forget, still. I mean, thirty years is enough to forget that the Jedi ever existed as an ancient religion. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot thirty happens. years. A lot was, ha- yeah, completely happens. Yeah, it's equivalent <laughs> of like a century or something. I think. Um, but you do, like you know, you see the future. What are your thoughts on this future then, on this version of 2015? I mean, uh, interestingly, it starts off a bit Blade Runnery, doesn't it? You know, they mm. they appear in the the night time. You got all the flying cars, lots and lots of traffic. The rain's beating down as well. It, it feels quite dark and atmospheric. Um, but I, I mean, they got they got a few things right, didn't they? Uh, you know, I, I think there's things that should have been taken up obviously the flying hoverboards is the one that everyone cites as being you know we we want them (laughs) (laughs) give them them to us but um when when they find jennifer and they take her back home you have the whole uh like fingerprint door lock Mm. i thought ah, that's a really cool idea and i'm sure you can probably buy them now I, i i don't know um but they're not widely in use are they and i think something like that wouldn't that's almost like a black mirror type future isn't yeah. it? it's not that inconceivable but um no i i personally i can't take off my nostalgic lenses for this one either because mm-hmm. like you you know the the late 80s this is peak when i'm like you know just loving movies and uh yeah. you know I, I have a lot of fond memories of this one I, no, I do. And I think you're right about getting some of the stuff right. I mean, we all love the 80s were big in 2015. Um, and you, I love it when he goes to the 80s bar, uh, the 80s diner. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, it's got there's several things in this to really call out. I love that you know, the greatest the TV, they're like robots, but you have like someone's being served by Michael Jackson. Yeah, that wouldn't have happened in 2015. Fucking Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> But I like the fact that you get sort of. Um, uh, Ronald Reagan, and um, I think it's supposed to be the leader of Iran. I can't remember his name. Um, oh, but you get yeah. you get those really great gags. Um, but the best one, which is, and this is where you start to get um, call forwards, foreshadowing mm-hmm. of the future, is one of the first things. Is there's a there's a console game or a, a you know arcade game in there, and. Um, it's a it's like a shooting game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and he, you know, you got two kids. One of them, Elijah Wood. <laughs> oh, really? Hobbit. I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of those kids is Elijah Wood. The the one that says that's um, you have to use your hands. That's for babies. That's yeah, Elijah yeah. Wood. Um, oh, and he does he, he does the sharp shooting, doesn't he? And it's a cowboy. Yeah. Shooting range. So that's the first thing to sort of say. You know, that's the foreshadowing. Um. Anyway, he's got to pretend to be his son, Marty Junior. And you get the replay of the 55 Diner with Griff, uh, Biff Tannen's grandson. 
um, which now suggests that Biff has had kids, or you know, it's never addressed. So you never meet you never meet Biff's kids, uh, but Biff has got a grandkid. What do you what do you think about this? And does this play as well in two as it does in one? I think the quick answer is no. Um, mm. I, I think the the thing is when we go like a few years in the future, it, 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 it's a bit of a trope that everyone dresses like douchebags. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what he's wearing is ridiculous, mm. isn't it? I mean, mm. it doesn't matter what future you envisage. No one is wearing a hat like that. You know? yeah. and, and there's something off. I find of, of all the different variations of Biff that he plays, I think this is probably my least favorite Biff. Just the way he talks, he's trying to talk in that mm. kind of higher tone. Uh, you know, it's very up and down the tone of his voice. I think it, yeah, it, it doesn't work quite as well. But I remember at the time just thinking, "Wow, this is so clever." You know, and yeah. then you've got you've got Marty playing his younger self at the time, and again you. Apart from his facial expressions, it's not quite a Christopher Reeve thing where where he genuinely seems to transform before your eyes. Um, mm. But, you know, you can see his mannerisms, the way he's walking and everything is very, very different. And I guess, you know, without thinking about it too much at the time when I was watching as a kid, I just took it as like, wow, that that's really different. But, you know, it is that that's acting, isn't it? You know, the, mm. the fact that, you know, he, he can transform into this different person. So yeah, I, I do enjoy it, but not as much as the first one. No, I, I totally agree. I, I, you know, it's got some great moments. I love the hoverboards. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a beat for beat replay, isn't it really? But yeah. now they've got the hoverboards. And, um, again, I, I kind of like Griff's like backup bullies. Um, the one that's got the soundboard on his chest. So when he calls him chicken, he sort of uh, he's got the sound there. Um, and I also like the fact that like um, they chase him around, and he ends up going over the the water in front of the the, the clock tower, which has now become the courthouse. Um, and the, the only way to is is, is, is is you can't do that unless you've got power. And then you sort of find that that Griff's got this thing called the bulldog uh, or the pit bull. Oh yeah, um, yeah a hoverboard with jets on the back and stuff um, and they can hook onto it and they're sort of like they hover around There's, there are some really cool ideas for the future like I really like it um, the one thing I would say is about the future just as a side point is um, flying cars are never going to happen for one simple reason we have stupid accidents in two dimensions <laughs> if you're going to add a third in you're up, you're in for all kinds of problems yeah um, I think Phantom Menace in particular takes yeah. this scene and, and multiplies it, you know, a few more times, doesn't it? And and yes. I, I remember thinking that exact same thought that I can't wrap my head around that third dimension, you know, being able to go up and down, changing yeah. lanes up and down as well as left and right. I, I, I don't think my brain would be able to handle that. And I don't think anyone else is. I, I think ultimately, you know, tangential tangenting is that a word tangentially yeah tangentially yeah. um i mean driverless cars will come way before yeah. that yeah, yeah 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 um but you know it's good you know let's say the, the whole point was that uh his son marty was uh, marty jr was going to be conned into joining some attack on the courthouse and was going to get caught and go to jail and it was going to be the sort of the downfall of the fly family um and he stops that he does he changes the future so 
they're gonna they're gonna go home now. That's it. They've done their bit. Uh, but to to um, to sort of I don't know take slight advantage of the future, Marty goes to an antique shop and buys um, what's it called? The what's it? Sports sports almanac. almanac. Yeah, and it's got the, uh, all the. It's incredibly thin for a book that's got all the <laughs> sports results for fifty years. Um, even like college ba- college basketball, as you find out later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I know. Just I don't know if you know about this. There's a, what's what they call? There's a cricket. Um, every year they do a cricket thing. That's um, all the scores and all the sort of statistics for cricket. All right. Uh, a, a mate of mine used to get them, and they're about like a thousand pages. <laughs> like these thick things. <laughs> I forget what they're called now, but uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a, these almanac, and um, he's basically going to sort of like have a a. a, a a bit of a sort of a dabble on the on the the ponies or whatever, and that becomes the film's MacGuffin, and also like, the film's lesson. I think like you know each film has sort of like a, a lesson, isn't it? About sort of you know um, the first one, I suppose, is sort of like time travel, sort of en- en- enables someone to sort of you know be yourself, stand up for yourself, and live your dreams and that sort of thing. The first one's basically sort of don't be, I don't know, don't be a selfish prick. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I'm not sure either because it's in this second one. You mentioned it there. So they call Marty out for being a chicken. Mm. And then that's his trigger word. You know, he doesn't, he can't have anyone thinking he's a chicken. And that gets replayed over the second and third one. Mm. But it didn't appear anywhere in the first one. No. And I can't, you know, I'm going to be a bit bloody toxic nerdy here. So, you know, he basically, he avoids getting his kid... Uh, sent to prison, so he doesn't join the gang. But again, the doc is being a bit of a twat here because his kid is such a little dweeb because Marty is in such a bad place. You know, we see him get Mm. fired by uh, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, but but this all traces back. He hasn't done his root cause analysis here, has he? No. It all traces back to that accident. So he fixes that accident that literally happens after he's come back from the future. <laughs> and all of that timeline is reset. I I, yeah. I, I don't... I, I'm going to stop thinking about it there because it doesn't stack no, up. You're right. <laughs> Basically, part two and part three could have all been fixed if Doc had travelled, like, 20 instead of going 30 years into the future had just traveled 20 minutes into the future and just said to to, to like to uh, marty like oh don't take your truck out right now yeah save your truck <laughs> take t- take it out this evening take it out tomorrow just don't, i'm telling you right now you know i know right just trust me on this one don't there you go dealt with um, <laughs> happy days <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the point is he's supposed to learn the lesson, though, isn't he? He's supposed to learn this lesson of, of sort of like hold, you know, keep you calm and and don't be sort of bothered by what other people think of you. Um, but still, like there are be- there are easier ways of, <laughs> of doing time travel. Um, but I, I do like this idea that again he gets called out, and then um, they find out that uh, uh, Jennifer has been identified by the police and uh, taken back to um, uh, what's it called the, where they live. The, the 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 suburb. Oh, um, I can't remember now. Um, I know, it's just, it comes up again and again, doesn't it? Um, it's not Hill Valley, is it? No, Hill Valley's the town. Um, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it takes her home, and obviously they get her in the house. So then Marty and Doc have got to break in to get her out again. And um, 
you see this where they use the old age makeup for, and, and also that this is almost like an Eddie Murphy thing, you know, because obviously he played all different characters in sort of um, coming to America and, and the clumps or what it's called. And so oh, you get God. Marty, you get Marty playing himself in, in and I will say the old age makeup in these films is terrible. Yeah. Um, but you get an old age Marty and him playing both his son and his daughter. Um. It's wrong, that, isn't it? It, it just, every time yeah. I see it, you, you know, I, I, it looks terrible. <laughs> yeah, and this is where I'm thinking, like, why don't you just use Elizabeth Shoe and put some different makeup on her? Like, you could, would that not have worked better? <laughs> but um, it's, I, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be funny. That's the thing. Is it that, you know, oh, look, are we supposed to recognise that it's Michael J. Fox in drag? I'm never sure if it's supposed to be played for laughs or they're just, Trying to make a pot. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, mm. it's not really funny, is it? Um, no. I, I guess. I don't know because because they do that as as over and over again, don't they? You know, they they have the same characters playing different people. So yeah, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you have this whole thing, and she comes at the house. Like you say, Marty gets fired by uh, like somebody he's done with flea needles. And needles, that's it. And again, like he gets tracked, and you get the mug fly, <laughs> and the, uh, the the Asian gentleman sort of fires him. Um, it's all, I mean, it's all good. It's all sort of fine. It's interesting. Um, but basically, all that is there was a distraction to sort of facilitate the fact that Biff, old age Biff, twenty fifteen Biff, uh, has has now travelled, he's found the Sports Almanac and travelled back to 1955 and has given it to himself. Uh, and then he obviously brings the DeLorean back um, and and sort of has a heart attack or basically sort of dies in, in, in this sort of... Um, and, and this is where I'm going to get... I could get... Um, I could get nerdy. <laughs> if I'm not, I'm going to do it. Sod it. So he go, we see him go back in time mm -hmm. okay he goes back to 1955 gives his young biff his ver his sports almanac and then returns the delorean but he manages to return the delorean to the timeline that we are still in it doesn't make sense does it that that no. timeline should have uh, you know it doesn't exist yeah it, sh it should have just disappeared shouldn't it under the back yeah. to the future timeline rules rules it doesn't exist anymore because that those none of those events have now happened or mm -hmm. any different. So, um, but obviously he brings it back and then and then Marty and um, uh, Doc travel back to 1985 um, and find a very very different 1985. And this is where it's very Trump, <laughs> very sort of like <laughs> 80s 90s Trump. Um, you have uh, Tannen Towers. Or Biff, I thought they called it or Biff Towers or, or Tannen. It's basically Trump Towers, isn't it? Trump Towers, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's basically turned uh, Hill Valley into a bit of a cesspit, hasn't he? Yeah. It, it's pretty horrible. This is where you get the proper dystopian future, don't you? Um, mm. and, and it's, you know, he's basically old Biff from uh, 2015 had heard this whole conversation around the, the sports almanac and picked mm. it up, nicked the time machine and then just won it. But, but Scott, what I love, again, the advantage of kind of shooting uh, your sequels kind of back to back, when they're playing the little bit of video footage, you know, outside mm. uh, the towers, 
it goes on about Biff's, you know, Biff's history and that, and it yeah. goes back to Mad Dog Tannen. Yes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, again, this whole section, this 1985, gives a load of stuff um, about um, the the sort of um, um, the, few, the 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 Western. The whole Western thing is really mm-hmm. played. You do. You get they get Mad Dog Buford Tannen. Um, um, yeah, um, you then get the fact that they're watching um, uh, Fistful of Dollars um, with Clint uh, Eastwood. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Uses, he uses the sort of the the, the metal bulletproof vest. Yeah, um, is shown here, and also when they go to visit um, when they go to visit uh, George McFly's fun- uh, um, grave. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It's the same graveyard that they eventually see Doc Brown's um, tombstone oh, in later on, right, in, okay. at the end of, in part three. So, um, yeah, they really are layering in the sort of the connections here. This is really well done, I think. Yeah, you know what? I other than a bit of dramatic effect, I never really got why. You know, so he wakes up and, and Lorraine. You know, she's got massive breast implants, hasn't she? You know, and this, this is sorry. This is another thing I was gonna say. They lot a lot to do is every film. Every time she wakes, she, he wakes up to Aaliyah Thompson. It's like you're, uh, you, you know, you're back in good old 1955, or you're back on <clears throat> good old floor 29. There's always a, uh, you know, that same sort of comment is is made. So I quite like it. Quite funny. <laughs> I do have to say, you know, in, at this Comic Con panel. Leah Thompson has aged very well, and if I could yeah. uh, wake up from unconsciousness to uh, Leah Thompson, I I think I'd die happy, Scott. I, I think I'd yeah. be done. I'd be like, yep. I'm always going to say the thing with Leah Thompson. She seems like an adventurous lady. She almost fucked a duck in How the Duck. So <laughs> she, she, she she's clearly up for anything. <laughs> yeah, well, there is that. Oh, crikey, she was hot in that. But anyway, yeah. anyway, uh, stop being lechy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I'd kind of forgotten about all. You're right. There's there's loads of Western links, isn't there? Mm. But um, what, where was I going with that? So so Lorraine. Oh yeah. So she tells tells Marty that you know that George had died. Why did he have to go to the grave? Yeah, to, to prove it. <laughs> it's like yeah. I don't believe you. I'm I'm gonna go right to the grave, and Doc Brown's just yeah. gonna turn up at, at, the, at the same time as well. So uh, you know, he creates a bit of dramatic effect. But again, once once you've got that question in your head, you can't kind of mm. let go of it. I, I think, if anything, like you say, it's there more than anything to create that. Um, there's a shot where he turns around, and the winds because the winds like whipping at them and everything. And he mm. turns around, and it's, it, it's Doc Brown that sort of like meets him there. And it's quite a cool shot, but like I say, it's a little bit superfluous, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I, I like the fact as well that they do this because you get two headlines, don't you? You get um, uh, George McFly, local author George McFly murdered, and then um, was it like local scientist um, committed? Committed, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there and, and there now. So in 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 the first film, you had the photo, the family photo, as people mm-hmm. were fading. And in this, it's the headlines. You've got to see the headlines change. Um, although, actually, I took a photo. Sorry, going back to this, you know when he goes through, he, he stops the sort of the attack on the, the courthouse. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to show how they couldn't tell the future. In the headlines, it's USA Today, and it says about um, 
some kids have done this and that's all. And there's headlines all around it for different mm-hmm. bits and pieces. One of them sticks out because it says Queen Diana visits Washington. Oh dear, that didn't age yeah. well, did it? No, it didn't, yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I've never spotted it before. And I spotted this one. I was like, oh, right, that's interesting from 1989. Um, but uh, yeah, so anyway, going back to, um, they've got these things and you've now got this setup of, and Doc's clearly done his research and found all these photos and stuff in a very quick time. <laughs> um, yeah. He said he broke into the library, and they established that he, you know, that Tannen, uh, Biff Tannen in 1955 has got the sports almanac, and he basically won all that money um, at the races. You've already seen this in that video, but Doc's obviously established it. He didn't see the video, mm-hmm. um, and obviously that means they've got to go back to, to 1955 to uh, to get the sports almanac back. Um, which is sort of the third act of the film. How, how do you feel about this? That this film tr- like really does travel through time. It sort of goes all up, you know forwards, backwards to the to the present, different alternate timelines. Yeah, I, I think again, I guess there's my own perspective, and and then I'll give my my sons. I I think I mean my son's like ten now, so mm. I I think he was confused by it, um, especially because 2015 the future for us <laughs> yeah. is in the past as well so yeah. you know it's all these arbitrary dates really so you know and the fashion and everything is is probably lost on it on him a little bit as well but i th- i thought and i still think you know even though we can pick nits in in different inconsistencies i remember thinking at the time wow this is just so clever like how mm. they're knitting in the previous film and you can see footage from the, or not footage, but the same scenes unfold from slightly different angles. I just thought it was amazing, and I, I, I still, I still think this second one, even though it's not as tight as the first one, is probably my favourite. And a lot of it has to do with this third act. I, I agree. I think that that. The thing with this film is, like I said, the, the the one thing I like about it, especially this one, is there's so many left turns in it. Um, it's a I mean, this this second one is like a proper adventure. Like mm-hmm. it goes, like it never stops. Like it's pretty, you know, they go um, to twenty fifteen, and you sort of you know you see the future, and you've got all these like crazy things going on there. Like you know, all these like, all these mad flying cars, hoverboards, Jaws nineteen, um, you know, all these amazing things that these ideas for the future. And then you get this idea of like an alternate 1985, and it's really sort of like, if anything, it's a, it's a dark version of the American dream, isn't it? And that's how it's played out. And it's it's almost like this this weird critique of like I'm not going to get political, but of like Reagan era America, where they're just like you know because um, Biff marries his high school you know girlfriend. It's clear mm. like. You said she, he was rapey in the first one. Like he's clearly kidnapped her and killed her husband. <laughs> he's gotten all Bluto, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, like it's crazy. But then, like you know, he's bought out all this stuff, and he's you know, um, you know, he says that you know, or I was going to say one thing: God bless America, because he's sort of like overturned and uh, gambling laws in in Hill, for Hill Valley. Mm. Um, and it's sort of like it's, it's this dark version of the American dream, and how it's just sort of like fucked everybody else up. It's almost um, like an Alan Moore. Kind of Watchmen universe, it isn't is. it? That one? Like, <laughs> I, I think I think that midsection, like you know, it, it it's really good. But like you say, when you start to look at it, it really is um, a real sort of like there's so, there's much more to it than I think you know it gets given credit for. 
Um, and then when you're done with that, they're like, all right, we're going back to 1955 and we're going to not just replay, but we're now going to give you extra information about everything that was going on in the first film. It's brilliant. I love it. I think it's, I think it's so well done. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like you say, um, the way they do some of the footage, and they've obviously had to reshoot some of it and, and, and that sort of thing. And there's other bits where it's blue screened in and it doesn't quite look... You know, when you look at it now with a modern eye, you sort of go, oh, some of that overlaying is, isn't perfect, but mm, it's still pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it stands up pretty well on the on the Blu-ray. And I, I think the things that that jar with me a little bit more, like, you know, when when old Biff is having the conversation with his younger self mm. and Marty's on the back seat, <laughs> it's like... Yeah. There is no way on this earth that he's not going to see Marty, especially when they throw the almanac on the back seat and he goes yeah. and picks it up. And yeah. then, and then when um, when they're driving off, he's literally on the back seat and he's on the walkie-talkie to Doc. Yeah. <laughs> he's like yeah. Doc. <laughs> it's like he's like he's whisper shouting, isn't he? It's like, <laughs> he? He can clearly hear you, like, unless he's got something like you know really sort of. Um, yeah, something loud on the radio. It's got partial deafness, I think. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's little things like that that, you know. Yeah. Again, I'm loving the whole movie. I'm loving this this middle section, but you know, the the third, the final act is the rousing one, isn't it? You know, yeah. you get all the Alan Silvestri music pumping there. But um, yeah, it's it's just those things that just like come on, that's that's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Well, there's there's something. There's one other thing I say. One of the things I really like about this is. Um, is again just the little things that they seem to keep throwing in. Um, that like you know, it, it, it's not really until this time or recent I've really noticed some of these things. And one of them is, as we've said, like you have Biff and then he has a grandson, yeah, you never meet his kids, but then in the 55 and two, you also find out he lives with his grandma and you never see anything about his parents. Mm. So there's almost like some weird. I don't know how they how they procreate or how they, but the tannins seem to miss a generation. I don't know. Cloning. Um, yeah, it must be. <laughs> they, all, they all look like Thomas F. Wilson. Um, but yeah, I like that's another great touch. Like he lives with his grandma, so where are his parents? There's that sort of thing. Um, and again, like you know, you get to see the fact that like they bring back um, like Billy Zane and the same guys to play his crew in both. <laughs> yeah corrupted 1985 and then back in 55 and stuff like that like really cool little little moments um and how they all play out um and then again like you say the fact that how they use was it ooh la la is the sort of the 55 porno ooh, la, la. yeah <laughs> um, and, and all that sort of like that all, all that being played at the background um and you see uh george punching um uh biff from a distance and um, yeah, it's just really, it is really, again, it's going back to that element, it's really satisfying. Um, and there's a, there's a great bit when you do see Biff sort of punched out and um, he's got the people all around him and, and um, Marty comes to steal um, the almanac. The almanac and he punches him out again. <laughs> yeah. And you have that sort of like weird looking guy who sort of goes, uh, I think he stole his wallet. Yeah. Stole his wallet. I think he stole his wallet. And then when Biff wakes up, he sort of says, I, I think he stole your wallet. I think he stole his wallet. <laughs> uh, little gags like that. I, I don't know. They're silly, but they, again, it's just quite, they're quite good fun. Um, 
But yeah, it is. It's 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 really well done actually. Now I'm trying to think now because he actually, you know, he gets called Chicken Marty again, doesn't he? But then he gets knocked out, and then he actually finds he he sees he's nicked his almanac. Yes. I'm trying uh, to think. But Where Biff. Does he, Biff. Yeah. So he takes the almanac back off him. I'm trying to well, think. he drives home. So Biff. So Biff at that point decides like, I've had enough of the under the sea dance, and he goes home. He jumps back in his car, and he has the almanac in the in the passenger seat. Ah, of and course. Yeah, funny. yeah. Um, and uh, um, Marty uses the hoverboard to sneak up along the side of the car to uh, to try and grab it, and that's when you get a really cool scene again where they use the hoverboard. And at no point is is 1955 Biff going like, "What the fuck is this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How is he hovering?" Um, so yeah, and I like that again because they travel like he does a flip over the car and he chases him, and then Doc saves him by dropping the flags down, doesn't he? And, and um, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pulls him up, and once again we get the uh, the manure scene for this um, <laughs> for this film. Yeah, I hate manure. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> And again, like within sort of two days, he it, like because I think the first one's been over over four days, isn't it? So within like two or three days, Biff Tannen of 1955 has has driven into a manure truck. Like, yeah, <laughs> at that point you just give up, wouldn't you? You'd be like, ah, fuck it, I just can't. I'm not going out again. I've had enough. I think what this trilogy teaches us, if it, if it's a good gag, tell it again. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then if possible, again, yeah. <laughs> with the same actors playing different roles. Yeah. Um, again, and this this ending because you do get to the ending of, of sort of again whether you know it's all done. He burns the almanac, and that's, that eradicates that sort of you know the possibility of that future. And you see that the headlines change. Um. Uh, you know, what is it sort of author um, um, commended or something? Commended, and then yeah. and uh, scientist awarded, isn't it? So sort of they 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 take they change for much better sort of headlines. Yeah, um, which is great. One thing I'm going to sort of do one more sort of time travel uh, knobby thing, right? <laughs> and we've already covered these things off. When they went back to 1985, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, the, it's the dark dystopian 1985. There's a comment that um, Marty's been sent to a school in Sweden or Switzerland. Yeah, right. Yeah, he, he's in Hill Valley. Okay, so did the version of him that has been at the school in Switzerland up until that point, did they just disappear, or are they, or are there now two versions of him in that that nineteen eighty five timeline? And the same with Doc Brown. Doc Brown's committed in a mental asylum somewhere. So has that has, has that version of Doc Brown disappeared to be replaced by this version of Doc Brown, or are there now two versions in this timeline? Just just something to chew over. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, ultimately, there's lots of different theories, isn't there, with with time travel. But yeah, but this one doesn't have a consistent one. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's it's what's ever whatever's convenient for the story. <laughs> yeah. um, I kind of prefer the uh, the kind of Avengers Endgame approach to time mm. travel, where you know if you go and influence somewhere something in the past, that actually creates a new timeline. But, yeah, yeah, but the old one still continues to exist. Yeah, you just like a divergent timeline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, that's just besides the point. It's just something to throw in there. Um, but again, you get this really cool ending, and the, the things have changed. And also, the storm is raging around them because um, 
this is the same night that obviously in the middle of Hill Valley, former um, Marty, Mc, Marty McFly and Doc Brown are doing the ending of the first film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so at this point, uh, Doc gets struck by lightning. He's hovering in the air in the car the, and, the, and the DeLorean gets struck by lightning, thrown backwards, and you get the really cool sort of two sort of um, uh, light, uh, fire tracks go in a loop, which is really cool. Yeah. And he gets, he gets, you know, and he just disappears. Um, and you're sort of left with this thing of Marty now being trapped in 1955 um, at the end of this film. So what, what are your thoughts on this final little bit? Again, I, I think it's great. You know, you get that elation from Doc Brown. Um, you know, he's so happy. This experiment, you know, this thing, you know, he managed to generate his 1.21 gigawatts. He mm-hmm. got Marty back off to the future. And there he turns up again. I sent you back to the future. And he's like, yes, but I'm back. I'm back from the future. Yeah. <laughs> I I think it's brilliant, uh, and I, again, I just think it was so clever. Or oh, it just felt mm. so clever that you know they again they've recreated that scene, so we saw exactly what we saw in the first one. But then we get Marty legging it round round the corner, and you're like, oh god, they, they must have reshot this whole thing. But I can't tell. You know, it looks the same yeah. to me. So. It's done so so well. I mean, the other thing to note is it, when when Doc's gone, it starts to rain, and a, a guy turns up, and it's done all kinds of sinister. But then he turns out he's from the post office, and he gives Marty an envelope, and he's had it for seventy plus years. Yeah, and it, you find out that uh, Doc has been sent back to eighteen eighty five. Um, and again, like, this is all going back to the old west because Doc's even said at one point he'd love to visit the old west. And when he's um, opens, he has like a brief briefcase full of money, doesn't he, from different periods? Yeah. Um, yeah. There is there is one that says eighteen eighty five in there, so that you know it's all he's covered. He, you know, when he went back, he'd, he'd actually have some money for the period. Um, so yeah, it's um, you know it's this thing. This was the first I remember going. To, I remember going to see this in the cinema. Like it's still got a vivid memory for me. I'm being sat there as the Odeon in Coventry, and um, you get the end of this film. As you say, you've had the bit. You you know he's in eighteen eighty five. You've got the letter, and he runs back to Doc. Uh, on the main street of, of Hill Valley, and and then like Doc faints, and then instead of saying like to be continued and that's it, and you're like, ooh, what's going to happen next? This is the first time ever where I'm sat there and the film ends, and it's on the it's on the blue. I, mean, I don't know if, is it on the Blu-ray? I don't know. It's on the DVD. Um, it ends with a trailer for the next film. Yeah, I remember that vividly as well in the cinema, and I'm like, yeah. What the hell? And and that was definitely the first time I'd ever seen that. And I can't really think. I can't think if that's ever been done again. I don't know, but it's like, it's like a legit part of the film, um, and and it sort of it says like you know uh, Doc and Marty will return in Back to the Future Part Three, and you're like, what? Oh my <laughs> god, that's amazing! Like they've already filmed it. Like when am I getting this? Is it coming out next week? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah it is great and I, I think you know we sort of skipped over it but when he when the DeLorean kind of it can't settle down it gets you know struck by lightning mm. before the guy turns up with his letter I think you get just long enough to feel that mourning that grief from Martin mm. you know basically the second time in two movies he's had yeah. to watch the doc die 
Yeah, and I think they just let it hang long enough to make you think, oh, gutted, he's, he's gone, he's really gone this time. You know, before yeah. they say, well, he's alive, but, well, he's alive, you know, in 1885, so he's dead now, but he's alive in 1885. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to admit, though, I mean, like, when we get to the end of this, right, the first film takes, what, four days, and then, I don't know, consecutively, uh, or chronologically, I suppose, the second film takes a couple of days, and then he's in, you know, then he ends up going back to 1885, and that takes a couple of days. So if you were to say, like, this is a two-week period for Marty, yeah. for Marty McFly, I mean, for, when he goes back to at the end of the third film, like, it's no time has passed. But, like, for him, this is, say, a two-week period, yeah? Mm-hmm. I'd have, like, I think I'd have, like, PTSD. Ah, oh, 100%. From, from the amount of stress and, like, things and trauma that I've seen, like, you know, especially if you knew the thing. One of the things I'll, I'll say it now for the end of was before we get into three. If you know, like, right, some nutter in Hill Valley can come up with a time machine, yeah, and it causes all this havoc. I would have nightmares for the rest of my life, thinking like, if Doc Bloody Brown can do this, someone else can come up with the flux of past. Like this, so this is going to happen again, isn't it? Like, I would be terrified that I would cease to exist. I'd have some sort of like ex- existential crisis. Like, <laughs> this whole thing is going to be like, I'm just on the precipice of being eradicated from time all the time. Um, I don't think Marty would have PSD, P- PSD, PTSD yeah. for that. Um, I, but the things that he's been through, you know, he's, he's, been knocked over in 1955 you know he mm. got bashed to the head there he's contemplated if only for a second to have sex with his mom uh, yeah. you know he's nearly been killed multiple times he's seen a dystopian future you know and mm. how horrible things can go you know the whole butterfly effect you know just one little thing can change it massively so you'd have a fear of what could happen in the future you know so yeah there are a lot of things for him to be uh uh, terrified about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and to top it off, we'll get into three in a minute when they almost hang him. So he almost gets hung as yeah. well. So it, it, it's not a, a fun time. Um, so, uh, yeah, so he does. He, we, we go through two and it ends with him finding Doc. And then literally, like, t- uh, three picks up and carries on, like, starts with them. And that's, that's happened. And it's the next morning, and they're sort of at Doc Brown's house in 1955, and it, it just picks up and goes, really, isn't it? Like, it, like, yeah. So we mentioned one of your favourites, uh, and one of my favourites as well. So Indiana Jones, you know, that was mm. inspired by a lot of the old TV serials, wasn't it? And it almost yes. feels yeah. like that, you know, where the start of the movie feels like the beginning of a serial. You know, it's just picking up a story from the previous one. And so, yeah, again, I, I can't think of too many movies that do that. But, uh, yeah, it's just like a continuation, isn't it? It's join well, us even back more, again next week. Yeah, well, even more so than Star Wars. Like, they call Star Wars, is like, you know, episode, is it like episode like four, five, and six is, is the original trilogy. Because that was the idea. It was supposed mm-hmm. to be like you felt like you felt like you were in the middle of a, uh, a like a, a, TV, a, a movie serial. But there's like big gaps of time between those films. Yeah. Um, this is the one where it, this is the one that sort of like you know uh really feels like you know same bat time same bat channel um <laughs> kind of continuation like no other films here as i know or i can think of finishes on this kind of cliffhanger where you're like um you know no 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 that that's a continuation it's it's got to carry on yeah um 
other than say maybe Crank, I think Crank is the only one I can think of <laughs> where it literally ends and finish and start the next one starts at the same point. Um, so I could be wrong. Um, I, I honestly haven't watched Crank. I, I know you know the the premise, but uh, that I do want to watch him at some point. But they they're not high on my list, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> I rec- I recommend them when you when you've got some yeah don't, don't dedicate yourself to any time draw, but if you've got some spare time and a couple of beers, they're probably worth some time. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So going back to this, so, uh, back to three. So like again, it's sort of um, you just get this whole sort of like wealth of information um, in the first sort of like fifteen minutes. It's sort of like the whole thing set up, isn't it? You sort of. Um, you know, you, you find out that, that um, he's back in 1885, he's buried the DeLorean somewhere, um, he's happy, um, and then but then you find out that he's going to be shot over a matter of $80, and it's going to be Buford Tannen that kills him, and it's basically sort of, they go, right, here's the plot, <laughs> yeah, and, and now you can enjoy it, like, don't worry about this so much anymore, just just crack on. Yeah. Um, uh, what, you know, so what, what are your thoughts on about sort of the way it's set up and, and for number three? Well, you know, it's funny how these things work out at times. So, uh, got to admit, and I'm not sure when this episode's going to come out, and, and we've recorded a few weeks ahead for the VHS as well. And uh, mm. spoilers for that, we, we look at Tombstone, but I let it loose there that I really don't like Westerns. <laughs> um, I, I just, I, and it's from being a kid, I think. I blame mm. Bonanza mostly. Um, but, but growing up as a kid, I remember being around at my nan's so many times and there'd be a chuffing Western on the TV. And as far as I'm concerned, it's just all the bloody same. You know, <laughs> guys riding around on horses, shooting at each other. There's a bit of a bra brawl somewhere in there. You know, I just, they never grabbed me at all. Now, in that recording, I was saying, I'm, I'm going to challenge myself. And actually, last night, I watched uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Got oh, okay. Wow, well, you, well, you, my God, you jumped in deep there, didn't you? Yeah. Well, I, I thought you know if you're going to go for it, and I, again, I'm a massive Tarantino fan, so I know yeah. you know that uh, he's homaged a lot of these greats. So you know, I thought I'd go in Sergio Leone classic, and uh, yeah, must admit, did enjoy it. I loved the cinematography. I think just the epicness of it, you know, was great. But um, but if you I, said, I'm going to say if you if you like that, and because that one is, I would say epic, ponderous, but has great moments. I think Henry Fonda's amazing in it, and um, what's his name, Death Wish, um, uh, Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson is also very laconic and very great in it. Is, is what he is. Mm-hmm. But I I still think the good, the bad, and the ugly is by far a better film and looks better and has got some of the most iconic sort of cinematography and moments in it. If you think that was good, seriously, go check that out. See, I, I do remember a bit of that. I remember like, hey, Blandy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember him. And, uh, you know, obviously the music is, is iconic for that. So, again, I have seen these things as a kid, but mm. again, it builds up. It's built up in my mind over the <clears> last 30 years probably that – I just really don't like westerns, so for me, this is my least favorite of the trilogy. Mm. But I did watch mm. this after Tombstone, and uh, you know, I was kind of—I'm almost acknowledging what I think is my unconscious bias. Mm. I'm like, look, just 
try and enjoy it. I know it's a Western, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but try and go with it. And so, but even despite that, I still think for me, this is the weakest one of the trilogy, but it still is good. It's still enjoyable. It's still all the same kind of characters. I, I find it very strange that basically Michael J. Fox is playing, uh, you know, his, his great, great, great grandfather. Yeah. Um, but then you've got Leah Thompson and I'm like, hang about, you got Michael J. Fox. Leah Thompson was his mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's this whole because she says again you have that moment when he wakes up doesn't it because he sort of um he gets chased by indians or whatever and he gets found and he cracks his head on the fence and then when he wakes up it's like you, you know you're safe now on this on the mcfly farm yeah. and, sort of like, and again it plays that moment he's like on the mcfly farm and it is weird like you say it's like you know it's a great gag um and they're gonna play it again and again and again <laughs> Um, but it makes no sense, like you know, this whole thing of like, wow, your great grandparents look a lot like your parents. Like, yeah, is Hill weird. Valley a very small place? <laughs> it, it absolutely is. And I, I tell you what else doesn't make sense as well. So when he goes back, you know, and they're mm. in the middle of a drive-in theater for some reason, um, and then I, I, th- I think it's just for that effect of seeing the uh, kind of uh, cardboard Indians. And yes, you get the the actual Indians. I think it's for that, but the Indians just carry on as if the car's kind of invisible. <laughs> yeah, ignore it. <laughs> just like no, holy no fucking po- shit! What is that? You know? Yeah. At no point. Yeah. At no point does anyone because I guess they're like the cavalry come over. Like no one has seen it from a distance or anything and gone like, <laughs> yeah. There was this crazy thing we saw in the like. Fuck knows what it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you you would think it was a. An act of God, or so you, you, you just yeah. didn't even know how to put it into words. It, I, I guess, well, actually, I guess you would have to say it was something like a train that ran on no tracks. That, that's yeah, the only way yeah. You kind of rationalize it. Um, but yeah, and that, that's obviously the whole start of it and, and the thing. And again, like again, like Mark, you know, Michael J. Fox gets to, to dabble with an Irish accent, and dabble's probably the best way to put it. Um, I like the fact they make him ginger as well, you know, because yeah. he's Irish. <laughs> And then, yeah. and then as soon as they get a few generations in, the gingerness just goes. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The, the Leah Thompson never leaves, but the gingerness is, is yeah. bred out of them. <laughs> um, but again, like it's that thing of like, one of the things I quite I find quite interesting is again, that this whole, it's this whole thing of being called chicken. And it, it's obviously the theme of these two films because you do go back and you find that actually his ancestors were really sort of like, quite chill and we're like yeah you know what's it matter what these people think of you like you've just got to live your life um and it, he obviously learns that lesson from it it's quite interesting to see that he learns that, that lesson for the future from his ancestors i think that's quite a nice touch that um, is good i, I you know I'd, I'd never quite joined that up but you're right you're right he does have to go back to 1885 to finally learn the lesson mind, mind you i mm. say finally it, it yeah. does feel a bit crowbarred in that whole chicken yeah. thing. It, it has sort of come out of nowhere for the second film. But, I mean, you say this is a Western, but I also like the fact it takes the mick out of Western tropes. Like, you know, it's clear that, like, it takes the mick out of these sort of things. Like, you start with Dot Brown of 55 dresses him in, in what you'd probably see on sort of, like, you know, Howdy Doody or some other sort of ridiculous <laughs> 50s Western with the tassels and the silly boots. Um, and then when he gets back, it's all really drab and dirty and, and sort of, like, you know, not these crazy colours. Um, 
And um, and and obviously, then you find out that like you know, Doc Brown's gone back, become a blacksmith, but he's also managed to manufacture some crazy rifle for his own protection, <laughs> um, and uh, stuff like that. So it, it it does take the mick out of these 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 tropes, you know, of, of the western of the of the baddie as well, the outlaw sort of like with the Buford Mad Dog Tannen and the fact like he continues as well the Tannen thing of not being able to get the phrases right. Yeah, sort of, <laughs> um, that's been going throughout. So. This, this, there's some great little gags in there like that. Uh, and the fact that as well, like they make him dance, like shooting at his feet, you know. <laughs> he does the old um, moonwalking. <laughs> so he does a Michael Jackson dance and then, yeah, which is great. And, uh, you know, so, um, and then they re, it's almost like they're, they're looking to replay the bit with the hoverboard. Um, Cause he runs out, doesn't he? That's it. Then he gets the spit down him, which is mm-hmm. then, and then they, they finally break the cycle. Cause he runs out as if he's going to do something. Like, you know, there's no skateboard. There's no hoverboard in 1885. So he's a bit like, ah, oh, shit. And so he gets lassoed and, and literally sort of dragged through town and almost hung. Yeah. Um, so that it's, again, the cycle start to break in the third film. They're trying to play it differently. So uh, it, they're playing with tropes more in this one. Um, and it was brave. I mean, to be to do a Western in the 80s would have been quite, or in the early 90s, I should say, at this point, um, it's pretty brave because it could have been an absolute flop. And I know some people do consider it to be the worst of three, as you've said. I I, I really enjoy this film. I'm a, I'm a bit more fond of Westerns. Yeah, I, and I think it's, it's my bias of not liking Westerns that mm. goes towards, you know, thinking this is the worst one or, or my least favourite. What I would say is I think this is one of my favorite biffs, you know, Mad Dog yeah, Tan yeah. and again the 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 makeup and, and obviously in Hollywood they they're pretty good, aren't they, at doing westerns. Mm. They did them for a long time, so the yeah. makeup and everything. He looks like he could be out of one of those, you know, epic westerns. Uh and he just he kinda gives that he gives almost the same biff performance, but slightly different. Mm. And I think, you know, it's such an underrated thing because he, he could kind of, it's the same guy and he could play it exactly like Biff in 1955, but with makeup on, you know, dressed up like a cowboy, but he doesn't, it, it, it is slightly different. So yeah, hats off to, uh, hats off to him there. I think he plays again, a, a really good baddie in this one. He does. Well, the, the thing I'd say about the, you know, um, uh, Thomas, F., Thomas F. Wilson for this is, Going back and watching it, it's not just sort of like you say he plays them different, but he like he does really do some good body work. I mean, you know, not just being old and hunched and all that kind of stuff, but his his um, let's call it modern Biff mm-hmm. has a certain sort of like um, a swagger. So that when he's in 1955, like you know, he knows he's the biggest dog in the yard, so he has a real swagger and a confidence and a cockiness and all this sort of stuff. And like you know, he has a certain way he moves, and even when you see him when he's older. In the, at the start of the first film, like he mm-hmm. still had that, you know, he sort of um, um, was it like you know, uh, don't Arrogance. know, uh, yeah, but it's like you know, don't know, shoes untied, and he flips his nose and all that kind of stuff, and, oh, yeah, and in, yeah. in, in the in the terrible fifth, in you know, the awful eighty five, when you see him, he's got that same thing again, a real sort of arrogance and um, you know, uh, all that sort. Of, but when he's playing Buford. You know he's he has a um, he walks with sort of like slightly hunched over. He walks with a sort of in a, a different. He walks a different way. He carries himself different. Sort of like he he works hard to make it be a tannin, but not like you say, not a replay of of what he's done before. Yeah. Um. And I think he's just really he's just he's, he just goes on. It's 
it's not one of the things that people like you know rave about the films, but I just think he does a fantastic job. I think it's really worth calling out. Yeah, I mean, you 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 mentioned about the him being the the MVP before, but mm. I think he's certainly the one who does the most work, is doesn't he? Mm. You know, and I, I guess you could say Michael J. Fox dresses up as a few different people, but he only ever gets a few lines. You know, when he's dressing up as his as his daughter and things like that. And he's trying to put on the Irish accent in this one. But I think for the range, I think Thomas F. Wilson, you know, he, he gets the prize for me for this trilogy. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think he does a great job and, and uh, you know, all, all power to him for it. Um, but you do get back, you know, obviously he meets Doc. Doc saves him from being hung. And you, you find out that the, the $80 is because, and I love this, it's because he's... Uh, um, Doc has shooed one of Tannen's horses. The, the, the horse then thrown a shoe and thrown Tannen, and he'd lost a bottle of, of whiskey. But he hadn't actually paid for the shoe in the first place. <laughs> um, but Buford, being what he is, had shot the horse and lost the bottle of whiskey. So he blames Doc for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, it uh, just adds to, you know, he's a bit of a scene next Tuesday, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so, like, you know, then he meets Mrs. And obviously, Doc says, like, you know, you shouldn't have come back. Um, but he, he lets him know that. He's going to be shot, so they should, they have to leave, um, and they start to come up with different ways of how they can do it, blah blah blah. But then they get the wrinkle in the whole thing, as you've said before, is um, they get to meet. Um, uh, it was it's it's Mary uh, St- Steenbergen who plays Clara Clayton. Yeah, um, yeah, and um, again, sort of like you know, her wagon's gone crazy, horses have gone crazy. She's running off, and Doc saves her. Um, and again, you get another a lovely little offhanded thing where you sort of uh, um, you find out that that ravine in in uh, Marty's future or Marty's existence is called Clayton Ravine, yeah, because of a teacher that she, obviously that went in there in eighteen eighty five, and obviously so she was supposed to go into that ravine, and in doing so, straight away they've already changed the future. <clears throat> um. So, you know, Doc's, like you said, if Doc thinks he's going to get his end away, he's less bothered about changing the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. For his own selfish purposes, he's not bothered about the space-time continuum. So no. I, I am going to get quite abstract now. Now, have you seen Teen Titans go to the movies? I have, yes. I think, uh, you know, I have to have a word with Steve from uh, Superhero for for Dummies because on, <laughs> on the latest uh, version, he, he was waxing lyrical about, it was a cyborg episode. And he says something like, you know, if you're not under the age of six, you know, you shouldn't be watching Teen Titans Go. <laughs> Honestly, I love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's mainly because the kids have it on. But it is <laughs> genuinely funny. And I took him to the cinema to watch it. And that is phenomenally dark. <laughs> yes, they go. They try and right the wrongs, so they go and save, like you know, the the Waynes from being killed. But of course, the the Waynes being killed is what is the catalyst to make Bruce Wayne become well, Batman. If I remember right, they want to stop all the, the stop the, all the origin stories because they want they want to be the superheroes. Their own, be, their own movie. Their, yeah, yeah. My favourite one is when they save Krypton and it becomes like a dance, like a, a, a club scene, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fact that they, where it gets really dark is they end up going back and trying, 
they basically commit all of those crimes to put the time to reset yes. the timeline <laughs> back. <laughs> so I was kind of thinking what, what Doc really should do if he respected the space time continuum is he should probably go and get Clara and then, I don't know, strap her to a, a bunch of horses and then send them off the ravine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my mind was just getting a bit abstract there, but uh... no, no, it's true. Like I think the same. Like he, that technically, Ollie should he should go and throw her back into uh, <laughs> into the ravine. It'd Sorry, be, love. It'd be harder, yeah. but you know, space time <laughs> continuum and all that. Yeah, gotta save, gotta save the future. Um, but you know, because again, butterfly effect, and everything like you know, it's gonna have that. It's gonna have some impact. Um, but that's not the only sort of. It's obviously gonna be further changes because. Um, you know, Buford is obviously is is humiliated as well. So does that not have an impact on the potentially down the Tannen line? Um, could do, but um, yeah, I, I like the fact they say that basically they they introduce this wrinkle, and it's 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 nice to have sort of to try and humanize Doc a little bit. Um, but the, this this film where the sort of some of the others have had like especially the first ones had that sort of like human interest thing like between his pet Marty's parents. They try to introduce it with the third one, and it has to me. It's it's fine, but it has less resonance. I'm more about. I'm way more about sort of like um, Marty trying to get back uh, to the future, um, and the, and his sort of showdown with with um, Tannen towards the end, because um, the middle of the film, middle of this film, really does lull. You know, you got the sort yeah. of the town party and some other bits, and it sort of gives an excuse for a shootout, but. Other than that, like not a great deal happens. No, and I thought it was a bit contrived as well. The whole Clara falling out with Doc, you know, because he, mm. he says, you know, he's from the future and whatever, and she thinks it's a, a, a bit of a line, you know, because they're both into Jules Verne. You know, Doc thinks it's really old, and she's like, oh, it only just came out a few years ago. Yeah. And so. Yeah, he's a little bit contrived that piece, and so you know this this woman that he's just met suddenly seems to become like the love of his life, like he's known mm. her for the last twenty years or something. So he's gone to drink away his troubles at the saloon, but he can't handle his his saloon. Uh, he I can't do, handle his whiskey. Yeah, I do like that moment. That is quite funny. But another thing is, he goes to her house and says like, and tries to explain like, I've got to go away. And he's like, she's like, well, where I can go with you? Like, she's obviously besotted with him as well. And I, I accept that in Hollywood, rom rom coms and stuff like that sort of stuff. You know, they can have that in movies. But again, this is a program where there's a simple fix to all this. You know, if she doesn't believe him, he's like, all right, look, I'm so, just come, just come to my my blacksmith, my, my smithery, and I'll show you something. <laughs> Whips out the DeLorean. And is like, look, here you go. <laughs> cool. We call it a car. Um, Here's this thing called the flux capacitor. Not only that, but this one flies and, you know, or did at least at some point. This is from the future. Like, she's got, there's nothing to argue with there, is there really? You know what? Um, I thought when you said, take her back to the workshop, I thought you were going to say, chuck <laughs> her over the head with a club and chuck her over the ravine. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're still thinking of that dark future. From the future so, yeah. Your plan is much better and much less yeah. dark. <laughs> But again, like there's a, there is he could he could have just shown it, or she could have seen the, or she does eventually sort of see the DeLorean, doesn't she? She sees a wooden version of it and and believes him like, out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, 
uh, another trope of this thing is how Doc likes his model, um, his models that he does for for plans, which are quite cool. Um, I think it's a, it's a great storytelling device as well, though. So it gives us the stakes. So yeah. we know exactly from seeing this little model recreation, we know what's going to happen. So I, I think it's great that little bit. Yeah, I like the fact that in both of them he apologises it's not to scale, which is another <laughs> yeah. great. And Marty's like, it's it's fine. I won't worry about it. Um, yeah. So you you know you, you have um, yeah, it's basically sort of that. That's the whole setup, isn't it? It sort of goes through, and the, the final thing is again going to be that showdown. Doc's gonna they're going to leave before eight o'clock, so they can they can steal a train because the decision is if they can get a train up to ninety miles an hour, they can push the DeLorean up to 88 miles an hour and it can travel through mm-hmm. time and go back to 1985. So that's what their plan is. So the plan is to steal the train before this showdown that's been arranged with Buford. And um, unfortunately, obviously following the breakup, uh, Doc decides to drink <laughs> a single shot <laughs> and then passes out. Um, and uh, it's, it's very silly. Um, but again, like you know, it's, it, like you say, it's a little contrived, um, because it, it's obviously sort of facilitates the whole shootout sort of moment. Um, but but isn't it brilliantly executed though? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know it, it is on par with Only Fools and Only Fools and Horses, where he goes, you know, play it cool, Rodney, play it cool, yeah. and he goes to lean on the bar, and yeah. you know the bar is it's not there anymore. <laughs> the the ledge. I, I think the way, it, I mean, it will be a stunt guy probably just completely keels over into that table i think it looks brilliant it's i mean it is it's done timed brilliantly um and there's other bits as well like you say you know they've got to sober them up and they, what they said the barman says jimmy we make some wake-up juice yeah <laughs> and they put the, the the sort of the funnel in his mouth and he pours it in and he just run they've got the peg on his nose and he runs out and puts his face in the horse trough yeah the tabasco juice and everything yeah, in there. Yeah. And I love the fact that the barman's like, when he runs it, and Marty's like, well, he's not, why is he not awake? And they're like, I don't know, that's just a reaction. That's, yeah. that's, that's just the body reacting. <laughs> no, it is good that. Um, and, and again, so it does, it does lead up to this sort of uh, this, this showdown where it's going to be um, uh, Buford, Mad Dog, Tanner versus Marty McFly, or Clint Eastwood, as he's now taken on the monitor, yeah. which is a great little nod as well. Um, and so, um, this is where you get the whole chicken thing again. He's learned his lesson. He's you know about being called out and all sort of stuff. And then people are going like, you know, they'll say that. What is it? They got the three because you got the guy with the whistle kind of talk, haven't you? Who I think has been around in like voicing Disney films for forever and a day. And he'll say, they say like, you know, uh, everybody everywhere. I'll say that uh, Clint Eastwood's the yellow belly, you know, coward <laughs> in the West. Yeah, and um, he's like. Well, why should I give a shit what you people think? Like this is ridiculous, and uh, like it dawns on him, and then he finally has to go out to to face him because they have, they've run out of time. So what do you think about this whole shootout bit? You know how it all sort of uh, it plays out in the end. I think it's a brilliant homage. But as you were saying that, I was just w- wondering, you know, how spaghetti westerns would have been different because uh, you know this young actor called Clint Eastwood. You know, yeah. everyone's just like, well, actually, you know, we know uh, Clint Eastwood from history, and yeah. uh, he's he's got a yellow belly, so yeah. <laughs> he'd have had to change, change his name. His name. <laughs> yeah, be named like, like Bob Bob Eastwood. Yeah, 
So, uh, no, I think it plays out well. And, and like I say, I, I, of the Westerns that I didn't like watching as a kid, Good, Bad and the Ugly was one of them. And, uh, mm. you know, so I recognize the whole scene. I, I still think, uh, as they say in Dumb and Dumber, what if they shot you in the face? <laughs> I don't think yeah. it's a bulletproof plan. But, um, no, it, it comes off quite well. You know, he smacks Biff around the face. And, uh, yeah, again, we get our kind of... The, the the villain of the piece, Mad Dog, he, he gets his comeuppance and, and then we have a race to get back to the future, don't we? So, yeah. again, it's brilliantly... It's, it's different, but it's exactly the same as the other two. Yeah, it's always going to be this. It's a reiteration that, like you say, it's the same story and over and again. It's, that's why I think they're almost like perfect sequels because it, it works as a, it works perfect as a trilogy because the first film and the third film are pretty much the same in that they are you're trapped in history. You've got to get back to the future, but in different periods and with different stakes. You know, you end up with a showdown with a tannin. You've got, like I say, you've got to have some way of artificially generating energy to be able to get the, the vehicle back to um you know through time and all this other stuff but the middle film is very different it, it takes a real left turn because it's actually about it's not about having to travel through time because you're trapped it actually throughout the throughout the the film the um the delorean works perfectly you know they go all over the place and it's about something else um so i, I like the fact that it's sort of it it's a it's a circle, you know. It's a circle. The, the the thing closes itself off and wraps itself up very nicely. Um, but again, I, I remember watching this and and always since and always being like, if they're gonna have a shootout, like Marty can't die, and technically as a hero, like they can't have Marty killing Buford because he clearly mm. has there's a there's a line for him to continue. So I was always like, how's he gonna like get out of this then without without running away? And I do, I think they, they wrap it up quite nicely with him sort of like knocking out and again, technically punching a tannin in the face and learning a lesson. So in the first one, it's George learning a lesson to stand up for himself. But it's the opposite lesson, really, isn't it? It's like, you know, it's it's almost like George learns to sort of become a bit of a hothead. But in this one, like, you know, Marty learns to sort of chill out and not be such a hothead. Um, so again, I, I don't know, they're quite clever in the way it's all stacked up. And you know there are there are pieces constantly sort of like aligned in this sort of uh, uh, across this generations of a family. Yeah, and I think you know uh, I can't quite visualize it, but but what you say about the se- the perfect sequels, you know, and, and the mm. whole trilogy. I, I guess you've got almost like a I'm thinking like a three dimensional Venn diagram kind of thing yeah. with, with the trilogies, you know, and, and they kind of all cross over don't they you know you you go in in between these different timelines and not just not just to these same times to the same exact places where we've seen mm. before and and I think that is the brilliant thing that it all again there's there's inconsistencies and, and whenever you get time travel there's there's always inconsistencies yeah. that you can call out but um yeah I, I do think it, it knits it all together really nicely yeah it does and it plays it and it's just all fun as well that's one of the key things it like it does all these clever little things like you say them playing with themes and tropes and sort of cycles of family and all this other stuff yet the other thing is they're all just really good fun yeah uh, and they all have cracking endings because again like this whole thing with the train at the end is ace like um 
it's my favorite part of the film. You know, I love it when they hijack the train. The train driver's like, you know, is this a robbery? And they're like, it's a science experiment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, is good. Uh, and then obviously they steal the train, and the, you know the, they've, they've hooked up the DeLorean, and, the, and it's sort of ready to go. And then Clara turns up. She gets on the train. Um, she realizes that Doc was the one for her, and he was sort of being sincere and all sort of stuff. Uh, and you get this sort of thing of like the traversing all over the train onto the DeLorean, and it cl- includes the hoverboard, and the music's fantastic. Like it's 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 a cracking ending. It's another really good action set piece. Um, that is just really well done and really good fun. I mean, what are your thoughts on the train sort of sequence? Yeah, I think it does the same that the first one did, the same that the second one did. You get that mm. sense that as every second moves forward, you oh. know, the the stakes are really high. You know, it's not just, you know, we can have another go next week. They have mm. to do it in this moment. And if it doesn't work, that's it. The chance is gone. So I like how they build that tension. And again, I think the music helps with that um, and, and the editing and everything, the way it's switching between the different shots. And and I just think it, it is really great. But again, it, it kind of is the same as, as <laughs> you know, it's used the same ingredients as the first two. It do, Yeah, it does. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's the same thing repackaged in different ways. And I, and I still love it. Like I could, um, a bit like, you know, you said, early on, I mean, you said about the first Back to the Future film, it's one of those films that you can watch all the way through, go back to the beginning and probably just watch over mm-hmm. again. Well, technically that's what we've done by watching all three of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true, actually. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought it like that, but... Um, but yeah, no, you know, they, they do, they get... Uh, well, Doc decides on a hoverboard, so a hoverboard gets to stay in 1885. Let's not worry about that so much. Um, <laughs> but uh, Doc That gets saved... a bit Terminator, actually, doesn't it? Yeah, technology hiding in the past. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Doc saves uh, Clara. They hover, literally hover off into the sunset, <laughs> whilst Marty sort of go, gets up to ninety miles an hour and travels back through time. And we talked about PTSD before and events that could tra- traumatize you. Uh, he travels on the dra- railway tracks, and then coming from the other direction is a big diesel locomotive. Yeah. And he gets out the car. I mean, even if it's a stunt actor, the way they do it and he gets out of the way just in time makes my parts of me sort of like contract <laughs> every time I see it. Yeah, I mean, you'd think today it'll be just like a, it'll just be CGI, wouldn't it? So you, yeah. you're in, you have no doubts. But I agree, you're kind of left wondering, how the hell did they do that? Because it looks like that was a genuinely life-threatening stunt and i'm sure health yeah. and safety wasn't quite the same in 1989 <laughs> uh, or when it, whenever they shot this but uh yeah it, it does look look a bit mad but i think you know to go back to one of my recent favorites uh in terms of terrible movies i'll call out samurai cop mm. there's a scene in that where basically the stunt guy Actually, I'll, I'll go back to the beginning. So this Indian guy is driving a truck and crashes and then catches on fire. And then clearly a Caucasian stunt guy comes out and he's <laughs> on fire. And it's basically, it is the two lead actors who run across and put him out. But you can actually see the stunt guy kind of looking round because, you know, stunt guys are, are good at this, right? They yeah, take all yeah. the risks, but they're pretty good at those calculated risks as well. Actors 
not so good at it. Yeah. <laughs> you can see these guys like, come on, you should have put me out by now. And, <laughs> and you have to think, you know, sometimes you are in actual peril when you're mm. trying to create these great shots. And I don't know, it, it could be one of those where were there that many, you know, safeguards in place? I, I don't know. It, it does look genuinely dangerous, though. It does. I mean, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's not a real car because it crumples like mad, which a DeLorean probably would have done, but, like, the engine's <laughs> yeah. probably been taken out. There's no fuel in it and that sort of stuff. But like you say, he dives literally feet away from this train over a hedge. And like I said, I'm, I'm thinking, like, uh, shrapnel and glass and all kinds of things could be flying over that thing. But it looks good. It looks great. But that means the DeLorean has now been destroyed. Like, you know, Doc's gone and the DeLorean is destroyed. No more time travel. And um, in his Western get-up, um, you know, he goes home and he meets up with Elizabeth Shue and everything's back to normal. You see that the way everything that's been restored from the end of the first film is all there. They're all ready to go. And uh, you get sort of like... Uh, the wrap-up of the film is, again, this chance for Marty to have this car crash. Like you see this scenario play out that's led to that was mentioned in the second film, you know, he has his car accident and that ruined his hand uh, where he hit this Rolls Royce. Um, and you see it play out like, you know, uh, uh, flee from the first, from the, <laughs> you saw in the second film needles challenges him to a, a race uh, at these traffic lights. But instead of going forwards and racing, he reverses and flips the, and spins the car around, which in all honesty is probably more dangerous. <laughs> I didn't see him check his mirrors. <laughs> no, nope. um, but it does mean that he avoids the Rolls Royce. He doesn't have a car accident, and so that thing never happens. And so a different future is now possible because the piece of paper that Elizabeth Shue or Jennifer had in a pocket that said "You're fired" from 2015 is now erased. Um, and they then go back and they look at the DeLorean on the floor, and then they now get return of Doc comes back. So, what what are your thoughts on all this? This sort of this nice, neat little tidy up at the end of of, of three. Again, I, I I take you back to the first time I saw it, and I was just thinking that the whole "you're fired" disappearing. Mm. So, so again, we've seen this same theme, haven't we, in this Back to the Future universe of you know artifacts changing before your mm. eyes. It's a great little storytelling device, isn't it? And, you know, to, to have that callback to the second one, you know, because you've almost forgot Jennifer's in the film, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, but she did play that that little nugget was there and then reappears right at the end there. I'm just thinking, mm. oh, this is just so clever, you know, to, to come up with this story and have it all neatly kind of uh, tied together. Again, you know, you, you're slightly older now and you, you think about these things and there's massive holes everywhere. But, but I still yeah. think, in essence, you know, if you're looking at batting averages, I, I think they've done pretty well there. And, uh, yeah, I, I do like the way they wrap it up. Um, I didn't think they had to bring the doc back a third time from, from the grave. You know, he could have just lived out his life. Um, yeah. Because it well, almost, you know, it almost makes you think well uh, do you think there's going to be a fourth one you know because you've you've destroyed the delorean right time travel is no longer a thing in this universe but the docs now created this this train which <clears> is <throat> a time machine so what else is he going to go and fuck up 
That's that's exactly what I thought. Well, more than that, there's a, there's a seat because obviously he turns up on this this time traveling train. That I'm like, does that have to get? To, I've, I've, you get all kinds of questions. I'm like, does that have to get to 88 miles an hour? Like, how, does that have a? You know, that's how does that all work? Because obviously, has he created a flux capacitor in sort of steampunk? Um, you know, yeah. sort of Western technology, all this other stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm willing to accept it. it you know, he but he, he's then restricted to traveling on railway tracks surely like you know they, they can only travel in time to where railway tracks are and you think well that's going to be difficult you can't really go back before 1700 so you're really screwed and then it takes off yeah. <laughs> and i'm just shaking my head i'm like oh oh no <laughs> if and it can I- fucking take off it doesn't have to build a train surely <laughs> That's exactly. What I, was like. I was like, if you if you've got this flying capacity, why not just make a bleeding plane yeah. like something else? It's all it's ridiculously like you know he's obviously gone through this process, and I'm like, this seems needlessly complicated. Um, but more than that, I'm thinking like he's still they're still in Hill Valley. They're at this railway crossing. You've already seen the DeLorean come back, and people have seen the DeLorean you know, shunter across the, the bridge and stuff and thought, well, that looks weird, and then seen it destroyed. How many people saw a locomotive take off and then yeah. disappear? It was massive. Into the... Yeah. <laughs> like, if there is a four, like, there's a th- the story out of all this is, like, there was UFO sightings in 1985 when people saw a locomotive taking off and flying, in, you know, into <laughs> disappearing into thin air. That's the story. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird one. I I don't think it need. You know, it's it's you sort of get the happy ending when he flies off on the hoverboard with with Clara into the sunset. You sort of just mm-hmm. assume he's going to be happy. It's it's you know it's fine. Um, you know, and I, I just think there'd have been better ways. Like you know, the, the, he's had a letter travel through time. He, they've they've sent a letter through the post office to nineteen fifty five. Yeah. Why not do the same again and send him the picture and a note of, of, of him with his family saying, I'm fine, I'm happy, thank you very much, you know. I don't know. The, the ending's a bit of a it's a bit of a it's a cherry too much on the cake, I think. Yeah, I, I think if I was like a self centered um person and a time travelling douchebag, I, I wouldn't feel I, I wouldn't feel bad about you know, traveling to a certain point in time when I can say hi to a mate who I've not seen mm-hmm. in a very long time. If I was that self-centered time-traveling douchebag. The doc, though, is such a fucking hypocrite yeah. about the space-time <laughs> continuum. Yeah. You know, and he keeps worshipping that, but he constantly breaks it, you know, by interfering with things. So, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, we get the little bit that you know he's got Jules and Vern are the sons don't we and and again it it does it does give you a good happy feeling you know but again I I think oh sorry go on I want to throw something in about this bit and this is this is a point that needs to be made about this Doc Brown's in his 60s let's not forget that Although they, they tried to sort of, he had a rejuvenation at, in, at the start of two when he came back to 2015. He's still in his 60s. Yeah. <laughs> and so when he went back, this isn't this isn't the young 30s Doc Brown of the 50s. This is the old Doc Brown from the 80s. So he's gone down, settled down with this woman in her 30s and had a couple of kids. And he just thought like, dude, like you, you were like in your late 60s at this point. 
I'm not. That's all kinds of like. I don't know. I don't know. I just it just made me feel like again clocking onto it this time. I'm like those at some point. I don't know how old like you know how that rejuvenation things work. But those kids are going to get to 10, 11, 12, whatever, and they'll be like, "Our dad's really old." Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think uh, again I was never sure how old he was. As far as I was concerned, he was about ninety. You know, yeah. the first time I watched him, you know, so it seemed ridiculous to me then. I hadn't really thought about it this time, uh, just mm. because I, I'd obviously seen it a few times before. But you're right. What I would say is, you know, an older man with a much younger woman as replayed, you know, in Hollywood for as long as Hollywood has, has been around. Both on and, yeah, both on and off screen, I think. Yeah. Really. So I, I think it's not that not that out there. Now, I don't know if that's changing now. Mm. You don't see it on screen quite as much, you know, but uh, I think, again, certainly with the VHS Strikes Back, when we go back to the 80s and stuff and watch some of these movies, there's always, you know, the girls are always 20-something. And yeah. the guys can be, you know, you can have fucking... Steven Seagal or someone you know, <laughs> and you're like, there is no way right? if it's not in a movie script there is no way you end up with that if you go back, I watched some films like I go back to like, you know, with these sci-fi films we'll go back and watch like 50s films or, you know, 60s films and so on and so forth go back and you see some of these sort of like you know, B-movie sci-fi films some of like, you know the you know Troy McClure in, um, in, in The Simpsons Futurama. Um, uh, no, it was the hi. I'm Troy. Oh, McClure. sorry. You know, I was thinking of the uh, captain. Space captain. It's a similar thing. Um, the the those actors, those people that exist in the fifties films, where they're like they're clearly in their like late forties and early fifties. <laughs> you know, uh, but like you say, they are bedding women in their sort of like twen- early twenties, and even yeah. then, like you you look at it now and you're like. This is really uncomfortable. <laughs> it doesn't feel very good. It's a bit wrong. And then you want to say it carries on through to the eighties and nineties, but um, yeah, it is a bit of a Hollywood trope. But um, it, I, it might be changing. But yeah, it's it's a fine. It's a they're a fine film. I just don't. This ending just feels a bit too far. Step too far, in my opinion. There are better ways of doing it. I think. I I think you're right though. It could have all been so neatly wrapped up in a bow. Mm. and just finished off you know Doc's mm. in the past he lived out a great life with the love of his life you know uh marty's with jennifer the horrible future that we saw is not gonna happen and that's it the end and, and yeah. just this that last little bit with the doc coming back it, it just Ask more questions. I, I think, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it was necessary. A more satisfying ending would have been, you know, you've seen that you've seen the photo in the records of Doc stood next to the clock, you know, and then obviously that gets changed because it becomes Doc and Marty yeah. stood next to the clock. There is an easy way of a, a follow-up scene of of Marty and Jennifer in the middle of Hill Valley, or and and you know, um, they're celebrating. I don't know the the actually it'd be the centennial of the clock tower, wouldn't it? Because it'd be a hundred mm-hmm. years. Yeah, and you know there could simply be some photos. They could you know could be walking through because the, the the clock tower is so important to the whole story, and they walk past and there's a there's a um well like a uh, an exhibit 
of photos of the clock being built. Mm-hmm. And then there's a photo of when it's finished, the first time the clock tower's finished, and there is Doc Brown and Clara with a couple of kids, and Marty's just like, he was happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a much more, you know, a, a sweeter ending that doesn't keep involving fecking time-travelling trains. <laughs> I would prefer that ending. That's a much nicer ending for me. A sweeter, sort of, uh, more satisfying ending. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But, you know, I guess it's one of those things that, you know, in certain movies, they don't want to close it off. They kind of always want to leave the door open. You know, I hope mm-hmm. we don't have to, like Indiana Jones, see another fourth movie one day. Yeah. You know, we've just seen Bill and Ted. You know, haven't we yeah. come back? I've not, I've not seen that yet. I have not but... seen it either. I'm gonna watch it. I think you know, but with this, I think you know Christopher Lloyd is now in his <laughs> like what must be in his seventies. Um, and they you know, Peter Cushing back. That's true. They did. <laughs> um, uh, tra- you know, but for, like, tragically, you know, you know, Michael J. Fox has um, yeah, Parkinson's yeah. disease. So it's, it's. I tell you what, though, have you seen the footage of Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr. reenacting? Yes. By God. That well, is that was unbelievable. Face, that was, that was a fa- it was a face swap, wasn't it? It was done as a sort of like a deep fake kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. Like that's that's the film you want to see. I don't <laughs> want to see it, but I do. If you're not, you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I must admit, um, face swap is my favourite app at the minute. Yeah, I look great <laughs> as the Rock. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> I, I've got to say, I do as well. Yeah, and, and I think it, there's something about that Rock footage. I, I've tried it with a few people. Unfortunately, everyone looks great as The Rock. <laughs> yeah, the, the Rock is just, yeah, he's just The Rock. Um, <laughs> I look pretty good as Prince as well. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I, I honestly think someone said this to me there. We were talking about The Rock. I'm sorry, we were talking about Shazam and, and, and Black Adam and stuff he's doing. But he said that someone said about The Rock and how sort of like, you know, how successful he's been and all this other stuff and how basically he's just a, a big chunk of charisma. Um, and someone said, well, you know, the world's always about equal and opposite reactions maybe that the rock is sort of like the the reaction to donald trump or donald trump is the reaction to the rock i don't know so they're like he's like the anti the anti dwayne johnson <laughs> so i'm just sort of, maybe the universe is sort of like has to balance out it could some be. Way. You, you reckon it's like a twins thing yeah. where uh, <laughs> yeah. you try and oh. create this genetically perfect human being and and that's the rock and then the shit that comes out is donald trump <laughs> Quite, quite possibly. I think that's what's happened. Because the Danny DeVito, yeah, the president of the United States is currently the Danny DeVito. Yeah, <laughs> it could well be that. But no, he's he's great, isn't he? But I tell you what, he's certainly taking his vitamins, isn't he? I saw him in the DC fandom the other week. Yeah. By God, he is as big as I've ever seen him. The man, the man does surely does he eats his broccoli. Um, he definitely does. Anyway, so wrapping up, we're going to pull this back into Back to the Future. But, uh, but wrapping up Back to the Future, having sat back and watched this trilogy now, uh, you know, after however long, what are your thoughts? As a final thoughts then on on this trilogy, what what are your thoughts? I think the overriding word is ultimately just fun, isn't it? Yeah. You, you mentioned it before, and. Again, we can sort of poke a little bit of fun at some of the inconsistencies of time travel and, you know, some of the things that just purely 
don't make sense, but you just kind of go along for the story. I think the cast is brilliant. Um, I don't think they necessarily had to keep using the same actors, but that's almost Mm. like it almost becomes an in-joke within the trilogy, doesn't it? You know, so I'll kind of forgive them for that. The music is fantastic. You know, it gives me goosebumps whenever whenever you hear that. And uh, I I will say, I, I don't know why it is, but just kind of around that time, you know, from the late 70s through the 80s, you just seem to have better, more iconic theme tunes for stuff. Mm-hmm. I have a little game with the, with the kids. I have a Spotify playlist that I stick on random, and the, and they have to guess which theme tune it is. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> Back to the Future is on there. You know, and, uh, I do search for more modern ones as well, but they're just not as iconic. And so, uh, yeah, just love the scoring throughout it. And, you know, I find it hard to think of any trilogy that that beats this one um it it is just great and and it does stand up again i think for young kids now it's difficult because the future is in the past (laughs) so you just have to get your head around that and the fact that 2015 isn't really what 2015 was but um yeah for us and, and a whole generation of people I think you can still go back to this and, and just really, really enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that 100%. I think it's just so much fun. It's, it is such a well-done, thought-out... I mean, like you said, there's some there's some holes, plot holes and some silly moments and, and character beats that sort of don't work. But as a whole trilogy, like I think this just stands up. And I think it stands up to, to, to not just viewing, but critique as well. You know, like you can see parallels running through it. There are themes running through it, and this other stuff. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's you can watch it for fun, and I recommend you do because they are incredibly fun films. Um, but you can dig into this more. Like, you know, they're there to be debated. I mean, if you want to get into the whole thing about how time travel works, that's there. Or you know, this whole thing of sort of um, generations repeating the mistakes, um, that's there as well. So. No, it, it's good. I honestly believe this is one of the best trilogies um, ever made. I, I think it's one of the most consistent and one of the most well thought out. Like the, you know, there are three pretty much independent films um, that that just work. You know, and the cast are on fire. The music, as you say, is phenomenal, um, uh, and it, it, they're just really good fun. So I do recommend anyone who hasn't seen these. Uh, and I'm going to guess that you know Mike that we, we've, we've sort of you know we've mentioned before. We often sort of uh, will we'll raise up ideas, and he'll often say, "Haven't seen that, it, Mike." If you haven't seen Back to the Future, we're going to rectify that. So <laughs> no, he's going to have seen Back to the Future surely because we we well, talk about some obscure <laughs> films that, that hardly anyone's seen. That's true. I'm going to put it in the chat <laughs> thing later on, though. I'm going to ask him. We asked that question. I'm going to gamble. I'm going to say he must have seen this one. Straight after this, I'm going to put it into the chat and we shall see. And I'll come back and let people know. Um, But yeah, no, I agree. I love watching this. It's um, they're about to do a 35th uh, uh, set of of, of Blu-rays on um, like 4K Blu-rays, but also in the steel box and all this sort of stuff. So. New editions are coming out all the time. It's well, it's well worth checking out. Some great special features on them as well, actually. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've really enjoyed talking this. And it's, this is going to be the last retrospective I think I'm going to do this year. So I'm glad it was a goodie. 
because there's some there's some like you say there's some series out there franchises you get into and it just sort of falls apart <laughs> and uh, it, it you know it never sort of ends well. Um, I'm holding off doing Alien mostly because I don't want to watch Alien Covenant. Um, yeah, that that is a tough one, isn't it? I mean, I, yeah. I think the first two are so brilliant. Um, yeah. You know, the first one, though, there's one scene in particular where it's just clearly the alien is a dude in a suit. Yeah, particularly bad. Some of the special effects are a little bit iffy in times. but And weirdly, I like the third one. I think I'm one of the few people that really enjoys the third one. Um, I understand its flaws, but one day I'll get to to that franchise. But anyway, Crit... Dave, Chris, it's been close. Chris. I was, I was going to say something about Chris as well. Dave, it's been an absolute joy. Uh, but I, I do want to see if uh, if Chris has got. Any, you've done Back to the Future. Um, I'd like to see. I'd, lo- I'd love to know what Chris has to say about two and three, just because uh, they do. Sort of I think he did two. I, I think he gave that the top score as well. And I think he, unlike me, is a bit of a fan of the westerns. So I think oh, really? he, he actually quite likes it. So I think. I think if we do that one, well, I, I'm not going to be the heel. I'm, I'm not going to be the bad guy. I think we'll probably gush over it in that one as well. Yeah, Excellent. I'll look forward to that then. But one final part, where can people find Comics in Motion and VHS and, and uh, all the other endeavours? <laughs> yeah, well, stick to those two because uh, yeah. there's not typically, there's the, I, I mentioned Venn diagrams. There's not many yeah. people who are into Love Island that that are into comics and old movies. There are some, but, you know, yeah. not many. So, um, yeah, so Comics in Motion, you can get us on all the podcast catchers. Again, there's, you know, Chris and myself, we review the TV and movies, but as we mentioned at the top of the show, we've got all kinds of different uh, offerings on there. We've got the superhero for dummies if you want to learn about characters, you know, start to be knowledgeable about them and uh, hold down a conversation at the comic shop if you so desire. Uh, we've got, Tony's in, in a little <laughs> indie comic spotlight show, uh, and that's got a great variety. And then you've got Max Byrne doing all the blockbusters from DC and Marvel. You've got Mike Burton's uh, Star Wars comics in canon, and then the newest uh, the newest comics on trial, uh, which is a whole load of fun. And also the VHS Strikes Back, where we go back and we look at a whole load of new movies. We kind of look at, you know, kind of late 70s. Godfather was a little bit of an outlier. That was 72, but, uh, I mean, it's a Godfather in it. Typically late 70s to early 2000s, that's where we kind of look at that golden era of home video and probably a little bit of a waiting on the 80s. And, And we go back and we look if things stand up. A lot of them, like Back to the Future, really do. And some of them really don't. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I fully rec- recommend go go check out these podcasts. They're they're, they're an absolute joy to listen to, uh, all done with passion and uh, by people that really are in the know. So, well worth checking out, um, especially the ones that I in- I'm on. So you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've not uh, been on for a while, actually. We need to get you back on. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, well, it's been probably, a moment, but... probably not for uh, Indiana Jones because there might be tears, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Temple of point. Doom. Yeah. I <laughs> see, hey, Chris. I don't know if you saw on Twitter. Someone was giving Chris abuse over Indiana Jones the other day. They just <laughs> gone back and listened to it. They were like, "What the fuck?" And he's not watched the Goonies. What are you doing? Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> Call yourself a film uh, critic. 
<laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. If you want to find out more about 20th Century Geek, you can find us. There is 20thcenturygeek.com, or you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all under 20th Century Geek. Uh, and of course, if you really love what, what it is uh, we do in 20th Century Towers, help us keep the lights on. I have a Patreon page out there. Uh, just go onto Patreon and search for uh, 20th Century Geek is making a podcast. So it's 20th Century Geek on Patreon got a number of tiers and i do a podcast every month where it's just me uh we do a poll uh to see what the topic's going to be and it's just called 30 minute thoughts me for 30 minutes thinking and talking about the topic that has been chosen it's usually a nerdy kind of topic uh if you can't afford that and that's fine why not go leave us a review on the podcast catcher of your choice itunes uh spotify whatever it is just leave us a review. Let us know what you think, whether it be a one star or a five star. It doesn't matter. I just want to get the feedback and it helps us get us up the charts. Uh, other than that, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Dave, again, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, and we'll talk again soon. Mm-hmm.